Some Christians claim the theory of evolution is compatible with the Bible, that God used evolution to create. But how does that affect our view of Scripture, science, and the Gospel? Today on Creation Magazine Live. This is the audio podcast version of our TV show. Both of them are produced by Creation Ministries International. Welcome to Creation Magazine Live. I'm Thomas Bailey. And I'm Matt Bondi. A plain reading of Genesis simply drawing the meaning from the text using proper hermeneutics indicates that God created the heavens and the earth and everything that is in them in six earth rotation days about 6,000 years ago. Uh, But starting around 200 years ago, some geologists proposed that the earth is really billions of years old. Hmm. Uh, Then, of course, theologians, they need to start trying to find ways to fit these billions of years into the Bible. And several decades later, Darwin's theory of evolution gained popularity, and some theologians then began suggesting that God used evolution to create. This is known as theistic evolution, or sometimes called evolutionary creation. Sounds like a contradiction in terms, uh, as if evolution could actually create something. You know, we talked about that uh, already in the last two episodes, but no, God did not use evolution to create. That's the conclusion of today's episode. Now we'll spend the next half hour giving the supporting reasons behind it. Because evolution is so widely taught and accepted, some have gone so far as to say the church needs to accept it in order to reach people with the gospel. For example, BioLogos, an organization that attempts to harmonize evolution with the Bible, made this claim in one of their articles. A hostile attitude toward evolution can hinder evangelism if seekers hear that they must reject evolutionary science before they can follow Christ. But often the opposite is true. Evolution leads people away from Christ. Here's an example, and uh, this ironically comes from Dr. Carl Giberson, a former vice president of BioLogos. He wrote about a a trend that he noticed in seminary where he taught. Apparently, uh, he wanted future Christian leaders to believe evolution so that they could uh, teach it to their churches. Hmm. So he writes, Instead, scientifically informed young evangelicals became so alienated from their home churches that they walked away, taking their enlightenment with them. Hmm. Many of my most talented former students no longer attended any church and some have completely abandoned their faith traditions. Ooh. Wow. Sounds like the plan backfired. Yeah. On the other hand, atheists know that evolution leads people toward atheism. Dr. William Provine bluntly said, Belief in modern evolution makes atheists of people. One can have a religious view that is compatible with evolution only if the religious view is indistinguishable from atheism. (laughs) And ever wonder what drew the famous atheist Richard Dawkins to atheism? Mm. Well, take a look at this interview with Howard Condor. And was there a particular point that, or something that you read or an experience you had that sort of said, yeah, this is it, God doesn't exist? Oh, well, by far the most important, I suppose, was understanding evolution. Um, I think the evangelical Christians have really sort of got it right in a way in seeing uh, evolution as the enemy. Um, Whereas the more, what should we say, sophisticated theologians who are quite happy to live with evolution, I think they're deluded. And I think the, I think the evangelicals have got it right uh, in that there really is a deep incompatibility between evolution and Christianity. And I think I realized that at the age of about 16. So once again, an atheist gets it. Notice that Dawkins sees the incompatibility between evolution and Christianity. 
Obviously, evolution didn't draw him any closer to believing in the gospel. In fact, he cites it as leading him away from Christianity. Now, please understand, we're not saying that if you believe in evolution, you can't be saved. Right. You can be a Christian and believe in evolution yeah. and other wrong ideas, uh, but it's massively inconsistent. Mm. And we're going to explore some of those inconsistencies today. Uh, but the hope is that as a Christian matures, we see these inconsistencies and bring our thinking in line with God's word. Let's start with the fact that God called his creation very good in Genesis 1.31. Our speakers often use a picture like this to illustrate a key point. Imagine how beautiful the Garden of Eden was where Adam and Eve lived in perfect harmony with God. There was no sin, no disease, no death, no bloodshed. But if God used evolution to create, then the fossil record would be evidence for millions of years of death, bloodshed, and disease already underneath the garden before Adam and Eve came along. This causes people to wonder how a, a good God could call that very good. Now, some Christians suggest we can look to nature to understand God. For example, Hugh Ross is an astrophysicist who doesn't believe in evolution, but believes God created over millions of years. Mm. He wrote, God's revelation is not limited exclusively to the Bible's words. The facts of nature may be likened to a 67th book of the Bible. He's saying that what we observe in nature, known as general revelation, is just as important as the special revelation we get from the Bible. And it's true that we can know some things about God from nature. Romans 1.20 says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Yeah, but while we can see evidence for God in his creation, uh, the world we observe is in a fallen state. I mean, mm -hmm. it's full of death and decay. And that can lead to wrong ideas about God. It's uh, from scriptures that we learn that God's original, very good creation has been messed up because of sin. And that God has a plan to redeem mankind and all of creation. If nature is put on an equal footing with the Bible, as Ross and others do, in practice, they tend to use man's fallible conclusions about nature, right. which change all the time to, to re reinterpret the Bible. General revelation from nature needs to be understood within the much more specific and detailed special revelation of Scripture, not the other way around. <laughs> That's right. You see, the Bible makes uh, propositional statements or sentences that are either true or false. Nature isn't able to do that. So it can't be the 67th book of the Bible. Right. Uh, but just ask yourself this question, uh, what do you do, or well, what should you do if there's a contradiction between what the Bible says and what uh, many scientists think about the Earth's history? Well, which mm. one's right? Why? Can we really trust the Bible? You know, when people wrestle with today's subject, it's often phrased as a question, could God have used evolution to create? Mm. Well, the answer is this, what God could have done is mostly irrelevant. It's much more productive to focus on what he told us he did do and understand general revelation in light of that. You know, trying to combine the evolutionary history with the creation account causes a crisis of faith for many people because the two histories are very different. Biblical history starts with God creating in six days, approximately 6,000 years ago, while evolutionists say everything began naturally about 14 billion years ago. To try to blend them together, some theologians suggest Genesis 1 is an allegory to explain what God did over billions of years. 
but in terms simple enough for the ancient Israelites to understand. <laughs> yeah, but there's no indication that ancient people were any less intelligent than we are. No. I mean, that's an evolutionary assumption. They built cities, smelted metal, wrote poetry, and were able to mm -hmm. accurately track the motions of the stars. I mean, Moses, who wrote Genesis, was educated in an Egyptian palace. So he probably understood the difference between billions of years and six days. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and the evolutionary sequence of when things began is wrong, as we explained in episode four. Uh, there's so many elements of the two histories that are out of sequence that if God meant Genesis 1 to be an allegory for evolution, it's really a bad one. Yeah. <laughs> also, why is it no one in church history was able to recognize Genesis as allegory until the last 150 years or so? Do we really need secular scientists to teach us about evolution before we can understand Scripture? <laughs> you know, in episode 8.1, we explained how an extremely thorough investigation of the Genesis text indicates that it is not poetry. It is an historical account of actual events. If we can't understand what God plainly meant in Genesis, then understanding the rest of Scripture becomes hopeless. That's right. On the other hand, if it's not an allegory, but evolution is true, then the Bible got it wrong. God repeatedly says he created various creatures according to their kinds. If he used evolution, he may have said something like uh, he created the first tiny living thing from right. which all generations of all living things came forth. But he didn't say that. Oh. Was he lying to us? <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> you know, and if the Bible is wrong about creation, uh, what about Jesus? What he said in Mark 10.6. Uh, mm. He says, uh, but from the beginning of creation, okay, the beginning of creation, God made the male and female. Now, from his vantage point in history, according to Scripture, the creation of male and female would have been on day six, approximately 4,000 years before he said that. Okay, day six out of 4,000 years. You know, I think that would qualify as the beginning of creation, wouldn't it? Pretty much. Yeah. But in the Big Bang evolution story, modern humans didn't come around until about two or 300,000 years ago. Uh, that would be pretty close to the end of the process mm. that started billions of years ago. So in that case, Jesus would have been uh, wrong to say that people were here at the beginning of creation. Yeah. Now, here Jesus is referring to Adam and Eve, but evolution doesn't allow for a historical Adam and Eve. Mm. Dr. Francis Collins of Biologos said, Anatomically modern humans merged from primate ancestors perhaps 100,000 years ago, long before the Genesis time frame, and originated with a population that numbered something like 10,000, not two individuals. Well, that's a straight-up denial of Genesis, as well as several references in the New Testament. So were Jesus and the authors of Scripture all wrong? <laughs> wow. You know, some theistic evolutionists have actually gone that far. Uh, Dr. Kenton Sparks wrote, If Jesus, as a finite human being, erred from time to time, there's no reason at all to suppose that Moses, Paul, and John wrote Scripture without error. Mm. Wow. Uh, author Dennis Lamru, who believes in evolution, he seems to agree. He said, Did the Apostle Paul believe that Adam was a real person? Yes. Well, of course he did. Paul was a first century A.D. Jew, and like every Jewish person around him, he accepted the historicity of Adam. It is understandable why most Christians believe that Adam was a real historical person. This is exactly what Scripture states in both the Old and New Testaments. So he's admitting the Bible plainly says Adam was real. Yes, but supposedly those Bible writers didn't know any better. Uh, but, but lucky for us, now that we understand evolution, we know more about creation than the authors of Scripture and even than Jesus did. 
Wow. <laughs> but it gets even worse. In John 12, 49 to 50, Jesus said, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. John 1 reveals Jesus as God the Word, and that all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Okay, so Jesus is God the Word. And what he said is the word of God. And he said only what he was given to say from God the Father. So if Jesus was wrong about creation, then either he wasn't hearing from God the Father or God the Father is uh, you know, also wrong about creation. Oh, and by the way, also Jesus was mistaken about uh, who he is and what he did because apparently he's not God and all things were not made through him. Ouch, again. <laughs> well, that cuts right to the heart of Christianity. It does. Exactly. Now we need to ask, how does this affect the gospel? I mean, take the genealogy of Jesus in Luke 3, for example, where his lineage is traced back all the way to Adam. How does that make sense if Adam was just allegorical? I mean, no one disputes that Abraham was a real person. So when did allegorical people end and real people begin? <laughs> in Matthew 23, 35, Jesus refers to prophets that had been killed. So that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah. Clearly, Jesus believed Abel was a real person. Yes, but remember, Jesus also believed that Adam was a real person, and if he was wrong about that, well, maybe he was wrong about Adam's son Abel. <laughs> See, it's critical to the gospel that Jesus can be traced back to a real physical Adam. Why is that? Because the Savior has to be fully human to substitute for humanity. Hebrews 2, 14 to 17 tells us that Jesus died for mankind precisely because he shares their humanity. The prophet Isaiah foretold of the coming Savior as literally the kinsman redeemer. That is, one who is related by blood to those he redeems. Isaiah 59.20 uses the same Hebrew word for redeemer as is used to describe Boaz in relation to Naomi in the book of Ruth. Yeah, Jesus is our kinsman redeemer only because he is a physical descendant of the first man Adam, right. via Mary, which makes him the relative of all humans and all races or people groups who have ever existed. So theistic evolution doesn't just undermine Genesis and a literal Adam, but jeopardizes this vital kinsman-redeemer concept as well. That's a good point. It all comes down to a question of authority, doesn't it? Do we put our authority in the Word of God or in what modern scientists claim about history, which is the Word of man? An, an objection we often hear from skeptics is that since science has proven the Bible to be wrong about creation and there never was a global flood, it can be wrong about other things too. The main point of our ministry is to show there's ample scientific and historical evidence for creation in Noah's flood. Which means the Bible can be trusted. Which means we can believe what Jesus said as well. That he's really God. Yeah, and that he died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. That he rose again on the third day. And that he ascended into heaven and will return one day. And that by faith in him alone we have eternal life. Okay, so how does evolution fit into this? Well, let's look again at what, uh, why we need a Savior. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Then in chapter 6, verse 23, it says, 
For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Notice it all starts with Adam, our true common ancestor. If there really was no Adam and Eve, it all unravels. Atheist Richard Bozarth wrote, Destroy Adam and Eve and the original sin, and in the rubble you will find the sorry remains of the Son of God. If Jesus was not the Redeemer who died for our sins, and this is what evolution means, then Christianity is nothing. <laughs> wow, you know, it's, it's ironic that some atheists understand the need for a real historical genesis better than some professing Christians. Yeah. Most non-Christians see the incompatibility, uh, like the atheists we just quoted. Yeah. Uh, they conclude that if evolution yeah. is true, it disproves the Bible. You know, many street preachers hear that objection when they're sharing the gospel. Right. Now, here's another problem. What you believe about where you came from influences your worldview. In episode 802, we mentioned serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer because he believed evolution, that, that there's no ultimate accountability for his actions. He believed he could do whatever he wanted, including killing people. Well, praise God, he saw evidence for creation, believed the Bible, and it seems he became a Christian before he died. And there are other examples on an even larger scale. Hmm. Atheists uh, love to accuse the church for atrocities like the Spanish Inquisition or the Salem witch trials. And, of course, we're not defending these terrible events. Mm. But the numbers killed were actually quite small compared to several events in the 20th century. Mm. And the Inquisition, it accounted for 1,500 to 4,000 deaths over a period of 356 years mm. and less than 25 in the Salem witch trials. Now, compare those numbers to the millions killed under atheistic regimes in just the last 100 years. 77 million in communist China. 62 million in the Soviet Gulag state. 21 million non-battle killings by the Nazis, including 6 million Jews, and 2 million murdered in Cambodia. This is many more deaths than all religious wars put together in all the centuries of human history. Wow. So again, we're not excusing any of the sinful things Christians have done, uh, but the main issue here is that things like the Inquisition are examples of Christians acting inconsistently with Christianity. Uh, well, the atheists, you know, examples given are consistent with atheism. Mm. Um, yes, it's true that atheists can be moral. They just have no particular objective reason to act morally within their worldview. Right. Jewish columnist Jeff Jacoby gives a good summary saying, For in a world without God, there is no obvious difference between good and evil. There is no way to prove that murder is wrong if there is no creator who decrees thou shalt not murder. Mm. Now, what most skeptics forget is that our culture has been positively affected by a Judeo-Christian worldview for centuries. Even the agnostic Thomas Huxley, known as Darwin's bulldog, advocated teaching the Bible to children for its morality. You know, one of the big questions people ask is, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? Well, for the atheistic evolutionist, it's simple. Pain and suffering are just, you know, the way things are. I mean, Dawkins has said, the universe has... No design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Okay, so atheists really have no business complaining about how tough things are, much less blaming God for it. Can't blame anything on someone you don't think exists. No, but God does exist. So, for the theistic evolutionist, there's an insurmountable problem trying to reconcile the good God of the Bible and the horrible process of evolution which provides a moral basis for regimes that killed millions. Now, in an interview a long time ago, atheist Jacques Monod said this. This is fascinating. He said, 
The struggle for life and elimination of the weakest is a horrible process against which our whole modern ethic revolts. An ideal society is a non-selective society, is one where the weak is protected, which is exactly the reverse of the so-called natural law. I am surprised that a Christian would defend the idea that this is the process which God more or less set up in order to have evolution. Oh, that's astounding. Here's an atheist who lays out one of the big reasons why Christianity and billions of years of evolution are incompatible. I mean, they're opposites. And he's shocked that Christians would try to marry the two. Okay, so how do we reconcile pain and suffering with the biblical God? Mm. Well, the Bible tells us God created the world very good, but because of Adam's sin, we now live in a fallen world full of pain and suffering. But praise God, it won't always be that way. Amen. For those who put their faith in Jesus, God has promised new heavens and a new earth. In Revelation 21, we read, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Yes, that's the great hope believers have for eternity. But what will it look like? Well, we're not given all the details, but Isaiah 11.7 gives us a hint. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. A vegetarian lion is coming in the future. Yes. (laughs) Now, just like it was in the very good world before sin and the curse, according to Genesis 1.30, all the animals ate plants. Right, but if God used millions of years of death, bloodshed, and disease to get us here, and he called it very good, then that's what the universe will be restored to. That's a pretty rotten restoration. Yeah. (laughs) But that's the logical outcome of theistic evolution. And we briefly briefly outlined uh, a few of the most serious uh, reasons theistic evolution doesn't work, Mm. but there are many more. If evolution happened, it means God wasn't really in control, leaving creation up to random processes, which means, of course, that God, he's not sovereign. Mm. Better understand that. Check out this article. And science powerfully disproves evolution. Theistic evolutionists have to reject all of the scientific evidence against evolution. Yeah, they also need to reject the mountains of evidence for recent creation, because if the universe is young, there isn't enough time for mutations to make all living things. It's just a bad way to approach studying the world. Christians ought to interpret observations from nature with the assumption that the Bible is true. It's going to lead to more fruitful research. That's how the great scientists of the past did it. Evolutionary history doesn't include a global flood, so the Bible must be wrong about that too. (laughs) In Galatians 1.9, Paul says, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Theistic evolution really amounts to a different gospel. Mm -hmm. It actually destroys the gospel, as many atheists know. Yeah, that's right. Now, the whole idea is a relatively recent attempt to attack the centuries-old orthodox view of biblical Mm -hmm. creation, and that leads to division in the church. As well-intentioned as theistic evolutionists think they might be, There really are a lot of very serious reasons why it just doesn't work. Hey, rather than compromise with an idea that contradicts the Bible, wouldn't it be better just to believe what God said? (laughs) I mean, it makes more logical sense. First, the evidence is better, and it points the way to salvation. It sounds like a win-win. Yeah, or a (laughs) (laughs) win-win-win. Now, to find out more about this and other topics, you can go to our website, creation.com. Yeah, and you can get a free copy of our flagship magazine called Creation Magazine. It's available at creation.com slash freemag. 
you go there, you can uh, view a digital copy online for free. And remember, Christianity is an evidence-based faith. And science supports scripture. You've been listening to the podcast version of Creation Magazine Live, produced by Creation Ministries International. With offices internationally and more scientists on staff than any Christian ministry, you can find loads of faith-supporting articles on our massive website, creation.com. Check it out. 